Good morning. Acts 21, 17 through 19 says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Verses 27 through 32 say, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews of Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus in the Ephesian, the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came from the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating him. This is the word of God, the Lord. Thank you, Melanie, for reading that passage for us. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, as you well know, we're in the book of Acts. If you're visiting, we've been in the book of Acts now for months, and we'll continue to, to be here until we finish. Uh, today, the message is about Paul's humility. And we actually sang about humility today. Brenton actually stopped, and we had time of prayer. He read some scripture, and it was about the humility of Paul. And that was not by chance. While I didn't know what songs he would select and I didn't know what verses God would lead him to in the prayer on Tuesday morning at our service planning meeting, I did share with he and Deb that we would be focused on uh, Paul's humility in the message today. And it just blessed my heart to, to sing and to read uh, and read the scriptures on the screen that he had given us. I also found it interesting because uh, uh, Doug Hampson, one of our elders, uh, our elders actually lead the circle of prayer. Uh, he and Bruce Berlin lead the circle of prayer at 9.30 every Sunday morning. If you come a little earlier, some of you, you can join them outside. And I didn't know where Doug was going to go. I hadn't communicated. But Doug also, in his prayer, read scripture and prayed a beautiful prayer. And it was all about humility. Isn't that interesting how the Holy Spirit works? I can truly say he and I had no conversation, but this is what God does as he prepares us for his word. He puts us on the same page. He allows us to join him in what he is doing in the word of God. And so this morning as we look at uh, 
Acts chapter 21, we come to verse 17, and we'll probably take it down to where Melanie uh, shared to verse 36. Uh, this Sunday, we come to the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey, where he not only preached the gospel to the lost, but he established churches everywhere that the Spirit of God led him. And then he did more than just proclaim Christ and raise up people in the church. He then nurtured the church. He, he, Paul became like a shepherd to a flock. We know that he spent three years with those in Ephesus. We know that he spent extended times in different places teaching them the, the Word of God. And then also what he did on his missionary journey was in all the churches he visited, he collected funds, money, from the church to take back to Jerusalem because of the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. If you remember, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Many of them had come from other parts of the known world, Jews who lived in other places because of the dispersion, because of the, the captivity in the Old Testament. They live now everywhere. They come for the Jewish feast. And they had gathered at, at uh, Passover and then Pentecost for the feast. And, uh, and when they got saved, 3,000 people, and each day more being added, they, many of them didn't return home. They never went back to their homeland because uh, God had changed them. And to go home would mean they would be among Jude people who practiced Judaism, and they wouldn't understand. So they stayed in Jerusalem. Well, there were a great many people who were homeless. And so the those who were saved, who lived in the city, took them into their homes. If you can imagine, at the birth of the church, all of a sudden, this great eruption of the Spirit, people get saved in our community, and they come from somewhere else. They can't go home. Now they're going to live with you. They're coming to your home, and you're trying to, your best to provide for them and care for them and, and, and protect them, but the funds are growing uh, low, and the food was running out. And so Paul, on this missionary journey, gathers the, the food, or the, the money for the food, and he brings it back. And so now he's heading back, he's, he's finishing his missionary journey, going to Jerusalem, and, and to, to be welcomed by the saints, but also to deliver the resource. As I prepared for this study, there was one spiritual quality that kept showing up in Paul's story, in the text, humility. Over the past few weeks, we've covered many of the great traits in the Apostle Paul. We've talked about his great preaching and teaching. We've talked about his uh, persistence. We've talked about his commitment to the cause of Christ, the conviction that he carried. We've talked about his discipline. We've talked about his courage. And, and, and all of these things are wonderful traits, but the one that transcends them all is we'll see in our text today the humility of Paul. Verse 15, let's pick it up. We'll go back before verse 17. I just want to set this up if we can. I want you to see that Paul, as he finishes his missionary journey coming into Jerusalem, he doesn't go alone. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Who's we? Well, who's the writer of this book? Luke. So Luke is traveling with Paul. But there are others who are traveling with Paul. Interestingly enough, he is actually bringing from the various churches in Asia Minor and Eastern Europe that he has ministered to, churches that he raised up, many of them, but he ministered in many of them while he was there. He's bringing a representative 
from many of these churches. These men who are coming with him are carrying the funds from that particular congregation. So Paul is coming into Jerusalem with Luke, who is recording everything happening, and all of these wonderful new saints who have been saved through the, by the gospel of Christ and are now representing churches all over the Gentile world coming into Jerusalem, where the Jews see the Gentiles as dogs. But these men are coming rejoicing that they've been saved by Christ. And the Jews who were saved by Christ are rejoicing over the Gentiles. Really cool. That's what God does. He changes. He transforms us, but he transforms our friends, how we see friends. He transforms our thinking even as we look at those that disagree with us. We no longer hate them. Now we pray for them. Now we long to have opportunity to share Christ with them, right? This is the work of Christ, and that's what's happened. Verse 16, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Why are they coming from, Cyprus, uh, from uh, uh, Caesarea? Because that's where, where um, Philip lives. And, of course, he had two daughters who prophesied. And so Paul's coming from his home into Jerusalem, and he's coming to a man whose name is Nason. That is a Greek name. Nason lives, he has a home in Jerusalem. But this is a Greek name. But he's not a Greek. He's actually a Jew. But he's a Hellenist. A Hellenist is a Jew who lived or who was raised somewhere else in a, in a Greek culture. So this, this Jew, who his family probably came from another area where Greek was the culture, Greece was the, uh, Greek was the culture, and they named him Nason, a Greek name. And here he is living in Jerusalem, and he's receiving Paul and these disciples. Interestingly enough, and I said earlier, uh, he is an early disciple, which means he was probably in the foundation of the church on the day of Pentecost. He's one that got saved. It also says, uh, that Paul is arriving at the time of the Feast of Pentecost, which always occurred 50 days after Passover. If you remember way back in like Acts chapter 13 or 14, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 16, Paul is wanting to make it back uh, to Jerusalem, the end of his missionary journey, by Passover. But the Holy Spirit gave him a different route because they were trying to kill him. So he had to go a long route. So he was now wanting to make it back by Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And back in chapter 20, verse 16, we learned that it was Paul's desire to arrive in Jerusalem at that time. Why? Because during the great Jewish feast, the city would swell in number. He would have more of an audience to share the good things that God had done out on the mission field with a broader audience if he came during one of the great feasts. So that's why he's doing this. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. That, that, that is a simple sentence that you would probably just read right by and think, oh, that's wonderful that they were received. Good, amen. Oh, move on. No, wait a minute. Let's, let's think about this. This is a group of Gentiles coming with Paul into Jerusalem. 
and the Jewish brethren who had been transformed by Christ were able to see these Gentiles as brothers in Christ. We live in a day and age when racism is rampant, at least the discussion of racism. I believe there is racism today, absolutely. I also believe many are trying to make a name for themselves and pushing their cause in the name of racism. Right now we live in a polarized culture, a polarizing society. Even in the church, polarization occurring. Certain uh, black brethren not wanting to fellowship with the white brethren. White brethren who are struggling and not wanting to fellowship with the black brethren. This is going on today in our country. It's as if the work of Jesus Christ forgiving us of our sins, all of our sins, has been forgotten and now we are marking and holding people accountable. Even though Christ took on all sin on the cross and has set all of us by faith free, free from male, female, free from Jew, Greek, free from servant or slave and free man. And yet now we're going back to, it's like we're, 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 we're setting Christ and his work aside that we might go back and measure every man by our own way of thinking. Or, to be honest with you, by the way the world sees things. The church being uh, led by the world in how they view things. Well, I want to say this, that I don't know how long the Lord would have me pastor here at Vero Bible Fellowship. I hope it's until uh, he's done with me here. I want to stay here. I'm not going anywhere. But the reality is, as long as the Lord allows me to pastor here, we will not cater to the whims of this world and the thinking and the belief systems of this world. We must base everything we believe upon the word of the living God. We must never lose our identity in Christ. And when we see a brother or a sister of any color that's beginning to be just jaded by the world system, we need to lovingly call them back to the word of God. This is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing that Paul is welcomed by the brethren. He arrives in Jerusalem. The very first thing that occurs when he comes into the city is fellowship. I love the fact that we're Vero Bible fellowship. Come early to church, friends, that we might fellowship together. I know there's a great gap or hole in our hearts right now. Every Sunday morning, someone comes to me. Where are the boys from Teen Challenge? We miss our boys. And there's a legitimate reason why they're not here. They are low. They, they're having to staff and they need to fill positions. They have to meet certain state requirements in order to take the boys out. And they are trying to hire the positions and get those folks trained up so that they can return to us. But until they come back, there's a, there's a gaping hole in our fellowship. We look forward to those boys. The ladies who work in the back with the wonderful hospitality table. They, they love when the boys come, and they know what's going to happen when the boys show up. There's going to be half coffee, half hot chocolate. Those boys load up, man. They grab those snacks, and they just tear into them. We love that. 
We want them to always know they have a home at Vero Bible Fellowship. I will encouragingly share with you that uh, we are going to have the Thanksgiving dinner this year for the boys. So you'll be challenged. I'm not going to do it today, but we're going to challenge you to bring food. And, 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 and many of you have your own Thanksgiving, uh, you know, uh, things that you do. But uh, certainly try to provide food, drop it off. We're going to do it this year. I've talked to Kevin Strunk. We're going to go to the plaza over off of 17th Street and have a wonderful fellowship meal with the boys. We've always said from day one when we started doing this, we want to provide a home-cooked meal in more of a warm, home-style setting. And that location will absolutely fit the bill. So we are going to do that. Just want to encourage you in that. We worked that out this week. Uh, but let's get back to this point here that Paul comes into fellowship and, and they're just receiving each other. They're loving each other. They're sharing together. Paul's telling them about his journey and all of the things that have happened and the, the difficulties but also the joys. And the joys are with him. He's not just standing there telling them stories. He's showing them and introducing them to all these Gentile brothers who come to the Lord, and each one of them had a testimony how they received Jesus Christ. So you can imagine the fellowship that went on. Every Sunday morning, by the way, folks, this, this is not the place where we become Christians for a few hours. Uh, we are to be a Christian all week long, sharing Christ, talking to people, and at times even bringing people to church with us who we've ministered to, and they've gotten saved, or they are interested in learning more, and we bring, and we fellowship. Can I hear an amen? Yes. I want you to know that the dividing wall of racism has been crushed and defeated by the cross of Christ. That was the case in that situation. Gentiles versus Jews, but they were broken down by Christ. In Galatians 3, verse 25, the Apostle Paul said, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. What's the guardian before Christ? The law. For in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. And as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put, to, put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's how we see people who are saved, who are different than us, who look different, who come from a different part of the... Let me tell you, one of the tough ones for the South is people from the North. Some of you struggle with people from the North. It's their accent. I don't understand that accent. Or, man, they just talk different. They're loud. They're brash. Uh, I'm loud and brash, and you put up with me. And I'm not from the north. I mean, the beauty of the church is all kinds of people who are so different. We're just a cornucopia of weirdos. But we've all come to Jesus. And we receive one another in Christ Jesus. Everybody in the room matters the same to God. No one's below anybody else here. No one is better than anyone else here. 
And this is how he was greeted. And then verse 18, we're never going to get through this text, but, but next week, Brother Ray Garcia, one of our elders, is going to deliver the word. He's going to go to chapter 22. Ray, if I don't finish this message, do not worry, brother. You carry on with chapter 22. We'll come back and hit the rest of 21, but I, we might get there. We'll see. Okay. Um, on the following day, after this great fellowship greeting, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now, I want you to see something here. I'm taking these passages that are really just passages that you read through. You don't stop and meditate or contemplate, but they're rich. They're rich. Let me just say this for some of you who are, who are type A personalities, because right now it's driving you nuts that I'm not making a point A, B, and C. And we're not going to work through this three, this, you know, three, uh, three points, okay? Um, that's secondary, to teaching the Bible. And we, we want to break down verse by verse the Word of God. It's more important to me that you be instructed to understand the Word of God than you get titillated by a three-point message from your pastor. So I'm not looking for a three-point buck today. I'm going to give you a 20-point buck. No, I'm not going to give you that much. Anyway, so... <clears throat> So interesting here. We see a pattern of leadership transition. Remember I said to you a few weeks ago that the book of Acts is a book of transition? It's a book that takes people who were in Judaism, Jews, and now they're being transformed to Christ. Tremendous change occurring in their lives. We're talking about people. This was their way of life. This was the way of their parents and, and grandparents and now all of a sudden they come to Christ and everything starts changing. But the change isn't, isn't immediate. It, it, it's over time. Just like a new believer is called a babe in Christ. And as they grow in the word, Peter made it clear that we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As new believers grow in the word and the grace and knowledge of God. They begin to mature. They begin to change to where they're no longer babes. They become spiritual young men and women. And they continue to grow. They continue to be uh, changed by the Spirit until they become spiritual mothers and fathers. That's the beauty of God's church. There's always a transition going on in all of us. That's why nobody's better than somebody else because we're all in a pilgrimage of growth with God. Amen? Every one of us. The only people who have time to measure everybody else around them is somebody who's not focused on growing themselves. We don't need that. And so here we see this, this transition of leadership too. Let me, let me take you through this. Just write these down if you want. But when the church at Jerusalem first started on the day of Pentecost, it was ruled by whom? Apostles. The church started, the leadership style or the leadership uh, group were the apostles. In Acts 4, you have the church bringing their money and laying it at the feet of the apostles. In the early stages of the church, the apostles actually carried on the administration of the church. But it wasn't until till chapter 6 in the book of Acts that now... The apostles realize we can't handle all this. This church has grown so much to the point we can't control, we can't administrate this much. We need to raise up some others who are spirit-filled with wisdom, 
who can carry out some of these responsibilities, the administrative elements of the church. And so they raised them up, and that's where men like Stephen and Philip and others were raised up, and they started out as serving tables to the Hellenist widows, and they end up preaching the gospel and traveling and doing the ministry of God. But this is how it happens. It's always a transition. And so they asked the people to choose from among them seven men, full of wisdom and full of the Spirit, to take care of the business of the church, feeding the poor widows. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, now we see elders also serving with the apostles in leadership. At the council in Jerusalem, it was the elders and the apostles who gathered together. And after Paul, it says in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to who? To the, the apostles? Mm, partly. To the apostles and the elders. So it starts out as apostles, then the apostles bring in those who can administrate, what some churches might call deacons, and then it moves into uh, elders who are being raised up. These are spiritual leaders. And now in Jerusalem in chapter 15, it's the elders and the apostles who are carrying the spiritual leadership of the church. And, 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 and so it's an incredible picture. But now in chapter 21, we see a completion of this leadership transition. Now it's no longer apostles. They're no longer the ones leading the church. You say, well, what happened? Did they die? No, Paul's not dead. What happened to the apostles? They're out traveling and ministering. They're on a journey and they're helping people come to Jesus. And they're, they're, they're calling people out of darkness. They're calling people out of the law. They're calling Gentiles out of pagan religion. And people are getting saved. That's what the apostles are doing. But they're not leading the church any longer. Now it's just the elders. And it's the pastors. It's just interesting how that happens. When we get to heaven, folks, let me tell you something. One of the great joys is going to be to learn the testimonies of all the apostles. We, we, we have the testimony of the apostle Paul, right? Because God wanted what his experience was on the journey to be canonized. That's part of the leading of the Spirit giving us disclosure about God and about the church. It's about Paul. But the other apostles that you're not hearing about, they've all got stories. And when you get to heaven, I mean, right now, Bill and George and Kay, they're, they're they're probably hearing stories from the other apostles. How exciting that is. We're going to be there one day as well. So we've already transitioned by chapter 21 to an elder-led church. Now listen, by the time we get to the epistles, there's no mention of the apostles or prophets at all. The, 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 the apostle and prophet, that was the prophets were the Old Testament. They had leadership. And then the apostles at the foundation of the church. And then in the epistles, when Paul writes, he's writing to the elders and the pastor teachers. There's been a huge shift that's taken place. So we're living in the time of the continuation of those early churches. So we operate from a plurality of elders. We're elder-led, spiritual men who meet the qualifications of Timothy and Titus. And, and that's who's leading us at our church here. By the way, we had our annual business meeting 
on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday, what a joyous time of fellowship. It is a joy to go to a church business meeting and have fun and get along. And the budget, and the room was pretty much packed, and the budget was unanimously approved by the congregation. A church that's working with the Holy Spirit, following what God is doing. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. And, and so, so Paul told Titus in chapter 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In every church, they appointed elders. But now notice in our text here, Paul is now going up to see who? James and the elders in Jerusalem. Okay? Why is James being singled out? Well, it's not that James is above the other elders. It's that he is probably the spokesperson for the elders. He's, he's, he's what some call the first among equals. So it's elder-driven, and James seems to be more of a spokesman. Now, who, which James are we talking about here? It's not James, the brother of John, because Herod chopped his head off. It's James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. Verse 19, and after greeting them, Paul related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Here we see the first sign of the humility of the Apostle Paul. Think about this. Think about Paul's name and the greatness of his name in the church. Think about how people saw him. He was the missionary, okay? And, and think about all that he was able to accomplish and the thing, how God used him, the things that he saw. And he comes back to Jerusalem and people are holding him in awe. And what does Paul do? Look at the text. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done. Paul did not make it about himself. And look at the healthy eldership, the healthy rule of the church. Look at their response. And when they heard it, they glorified God, not Paul. Friends, this is what we should experience every time we gather together as a flock. We bring glory to none other than God for what he has done. When you share a testimony, it ain't about you. It's what God did. And he gave you a front row seat to experience it. Amen? This is where we see the first sign of Paul's humility. He's describing this experience on the mission field. He's very clear to say that it was God's work, not his. He gives all the glory to God. This is the sign of a humble leader. And equal to his humble sharing, the elders responded by not praising him. I shared on Friday morning at the women's refuge, and what a joy it is to go over on Friday mornings and just be allowed to teach the word to the ladies that are on staff and those who are in the uh, residence there. And uh, I shared the story about a man who lived in Taiwan and he fell in love with a woman from North America. And uh, for one year, he wrote 700 letters to her. 
in 62 of those 700 letters, he actually made a marriage proposal. It worked. She got married, but not to him. She married the mailman. Now, we laugh at that, but isn't that just like us? Here the Father loves us and gives us our salvation. He gives us the church so that we can grow up in it, we can serve in it, we can find protection in it, but we're so short-sighted that we make the focus more about the man who delivers the gospel and delivers the message than the one who sent the message. Never in a church should the pastor be the personality of the church. Never should you go to a church because of the man. He's just a man. God is not like a man. The scripture says, and then he described how he's not like a man. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not like a man because men are going to lie. When we gather together, we come truly to experience the worship of God and God alone. That even translates down into how we worship. As we're singing songs, listen, it's easy for a church to get into a habit. It's a bad habit. The bad habit is that when the song is over, we just applaud. Why? Why are you applauding? Are you applauding because you like the way the band played it? Are you applauding because that's your favorite song? The only applause should go to heaven. You only applaud when God has spoken to you through that song and it ministers to your heart, then it's appropriate to clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Then it's appropriate. Otherwise, don't clap. Don't ever clap for man. I grew up in the church where we would have these singspirations and somebody would do a special and their voice was not very good. Let's just be honest. You know what I'm talking about. But they'd been in the church a long time. Everybody loved them. And when you, if you even thought about saying, man, mm, I don't know. Somebody would correct you quickly. They have a good heart. I'll tell you how good their heart is. Why don't you lovingly tell them, I don't think your calling is singing. <laughs> and then you'll see what really the heart is in the heart. But the reality is, as soon as they would finish that song... It's like we're at a variety show. Oh God, may that never be the case at Bureau Bible Fellowship. That we would so make you the centerpiece of our worship that all applause, when it does occur, is meaningful. It means that we have received ministry from God. Otherwise, we don't need to applaud. If anything good happens in the life of Bureau Bible Fellowship, all glory goes to God. If anything bad happens in the life of your Bible fellowship, man is the problem. But God gets all the glory. Amen? John chapter 10, verse 32. You'll find, write that down, John 10, 32. You can turn if you want. It's just a short verse, and then we'll go to chapter 5 in John. We're going to go to chapter 10, and then chapter 5. It's interesting. Paul is modeling after Jesus here. 
The fact that he doesn't bring attention to himself. The fact that he only points all that he was able to accomplish to the work of God. Jesus did the same thing. Now listen, listen to what I'm saying. Jesus is the son of God. While he was, yes, fully man on earth, he was also fully God on earth. He was with God in the beginning. Colossians tells us that he created all things. And in him, all things hold together. And yet he's on earth, and, and Jesus, after he would perform a miracle, after he would give a speech, whatever it was he was doing, the people would give glory to God, the Father. How? Jesus is God standing right in front of you. What are you doing praising God the Father? I'll tell you why they did it. Because Jesus directed the praise and the glory to the Father. Not even the Son of God on earth brought attention to himself. Only what the Father would say about him did he speak. Now I'm going to show this to you. In John chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. He's the one that performed them. He can take a little credit. No, he cannot. He came to this earth sent by the Father. Therefore, all things that he did on the earth were at the hand of the Father, the work of the Father. Now turn to John chapter 5 because I want to read this. And I really would like you to mark your Bible here. John 5, verse 19. Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, capital S, speaking of himself, second person of the Trinity, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. There's even going to be greater things that the Father is going to do so that you might glorify the Father. You're getting the point here. The humility of Paul recognizing I am nothing, he is everything. Jesus was the same way. Paul's saying, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm not going to bring attention to myself. I'm not going to withhold information so that people would think better of me. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be vulnerable. Any pastor who tries to put himself in a position where he looks better than he really is, that's a hypocrite. The reason why you don't do that is because only Christ should look good when you preach. Someone once gave me a book about some great man of God. I opened it up and I began to read it. It was just a small paperback about that thick. I began to read it. But everything I read was about this man and what he had done. This is what I did. And when I did that, I then did this. I never finished the book. You didn't do it. If something good came out of it, it was the Lord, not you. What we should claim is when we don't do good. Here's how I messed up. And here's how the Lord forgave me. 
this is what the Lord did in me. I am nothing but a broken vessel that God has found in his heart to receive by grace and to restore. The last thing God ever wants for any pastor is to be put on a pedestal, for any shepherd, any elder to be put on a pedestal. We should exhibit more of the brokenness than anybody else in the church because truly we are frail and we have sinned and we need to be real so that when people hear from us, they know that, boy, that can't be him. That's got to be God because I know him. Acts chapter 15, look at verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I mean, Paul is consistent here. He never brings attention to himself. It's what God has done. Peter operated the same way. Peter had won a Gentile to Christ, and he didn't say, hey, look at me. I won Cornelius and his whole household to the Lord. I did that. I was sleeping, and I had a vision, and, and, and I went, and, and, and I just was able to Save this whole house of, of Gentiles, a bunch of dogs, and God saved them because I went and I visited. No, it's not what he said at all. It's not what he said at all. He said, you'll never believe what the Lord did. He gave me a vision that I could eat anything on the sheet, things that were unclean. And then he sent someone to me, to go a, a vision, to go and speak with this one man who in my Jewish tradition, is unclean. And this man had a hunger for God. God put that hunger in that man's heart. And then God connected me to that man. God orchestrated the whole thing, and that man got saved. Peter gave all the glory to God. There's no way that somebody could hear Peter talk about it and start praising Peter. That's what Peter meant when he said in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, but above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Don't ever forget that. And you've committed, like me, a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God. Varied grace, God's grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Even Peter lines up like Jesus. How can we be any different? Everything that we do that is good that the Lord uses, that the Lord does. It's really him from the beginning. It was not you. God's way ahead of us. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. Wow. So you're not as smart as you think you are. Don't take credit that belongs to him. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3.1, For I, this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, a prisoner, more like a slave. He defined himself as a slave of Jesus. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Listen, 
according to the gift of God's grace. I'm not a minister because I earned it. I'm not a minister because I studied under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi teacher in Jerusalem. I'm not a minister because of my gifts and abilities and my oratory skills. I'm a minister by God's grace. That's it. How could Paul ever take credit for anything? How can I ever take credit for anything? When we first started Vero Bible Fellowship, there were people who, most of them, I'm sure, didn't realize what they were saying. And if it was explained to them, they would take it back. But somebody would say, well, where, where are you going to church? Oh, I go to Greg's church. Pastor Greg's church. No, it's not Pastor Greg's church. Truly, this church is God's work. Not Greg's work. I'm I'm just uh, I'm just the the vest one of the one of the elder vessels that God's chosen to use in this season of the life of this church. Amen. This is God's church. Paul said in verse eight of Ephesians three, "To me, though I am the very least of all saints." This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is a humble man. And that's how he shared the wondrous works of God that he experienced in the third missionary journey. By the hand of the Lord alone. Um, I'm going to stop there because we're going to shift gears. Verse 20 takes us in a whole different direction where we will see more of the humility of Paul. There's two more examples of it, but we're not going to have time to get there. I just feel like right now in the moment, I sense we've gone far enough, enough for us to chew on. Do I walk in humility? And then based on the answer, which probably for all of us, if anybody thinks they're walking in humility, that's pretty much a clear indicator you're not. Just to give you a little heads up. So, so what do you do about it? Well, let me tell you what you don't want to do. You don't want to ask God to humble you. And the Bible, good news, the Bible doesn't tell you to do that. What does the Bible say? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And in due season, he will lift you up. Get your eyes off of being lifted up. Get your eyes off of having a name. Get your eyes off of influence. Get your eyes off of reputation. Get your eyes off of a title. Just humble yourself. Go down, Philippians chapter 2, like Jesus, who was with God in the third heaven. And he went down. He took on the form of a man. He became a servant on the earth. And then because he humbled himself, God raised him up to where now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But we're not worried about that. We need to work on this. Amen? Humble yourself. You say, how do I humble myself? Well, let the Holy Spirit reveal to you how you're not humble. Well, if you're really, really struggling with that which i don't know how any of us could if we open ourselves up we could probably write five pages pretty quick of how we're prideful but if you're struggling with that then just ask somebody who knows you really well and loves you 
they probably could help you there. And let me just say the word to the person who's being asked. Be humble as you share it. Uh, I told you the story. Rhett Palmer, uh, one of our local guys, you know, who's had radio broadcasts for a long time. He has interviewed a lot of interesting celebrity. He, 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 inter he interviewed Billy Graham. He was out on a Billy Graham crusade, I think it was, and Billy Graham came off the platform, and he had a pass to go backstage. And so when Billy Graham literally came down the steps of the platform after speaking at a crusade, Billy Graham looked at him. This was an outdoor crusade. And he said, Dr. Graham, if I could just have a moment of your time. And he looked at him, and he said, son, are you okay? And he, what, what? He goes, well, you're, you're flush. Your face is flush. Are you okay? And he, oh, I've just been out in the sun. I, I'm, I'm sunburned a little bit. He goes, okay. And, and he asked Dr. Billy Graham, he said, so you, you exude humility. What is it that makes you so humble? Here's Billy Graham's response. Son, I guess if we have to talk about it, we probably don't have it. Pay less attention to what your humility looks like. Pay more attention to just focusing on this. How do I go down lower? How do I go lower so that Christ in me might go higher? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Oh, how we thank you for your word. It challenges us. It encourages us. It exhorts us. It rebukes us at times. But most of all, it shows us the love of the Father. And we are able to recognize from Scripture that we are saved by grace because God loves us. And He had to pay for the judgment of our sins. Jesus did. And for that we are eternally grateful that alone causes me to want to go down to be nothing that Christ might be everything may our church person to person one at a time individually may we be transformed as we focus on going down so that when someone visits Vero Bible Fellowship they are overtaken by the presence of Jesus. They only see Jesus. They don't see us. We give you all the great, all the uh, glory, all the knowledge comes from you, all the grace comes from you. We just give you glory for all of it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's be like the Apostle Paul and fellowship with one another. God bless you. Thank you so much for being part of our service today.